0: This podcast is sponsored by GOGO, the leader in in in-flight connectivity and wireless entertainment. Our superior technologies, best-in-class service, and global reach help planes fly smarter. Our partners perform better, and their passengers travel happier. Learn more at gogoair.com forward slash airline. Earnings season for the U.S. airline industry continued last week with some impressive headlines. American Airlines set another record. Allegiant posted a whopping 30% operating margin, previously unheard of in the fourth quarter. But another airline had perhaps the most interesting story to tell. For years now, JetBlue has had us feeling, well... Kind of blue, underperforming its peers quarter after quarter. But this time was different. Their swagger is back. It was a little like watching Han Solo appear on the screen again. JetBlue posted a 21% operating margin. That was good enough to be the most improved U.S. airline year over year. They beat all their U.S. peers, except for Alaska Airlines, and Allegiant. Truly an impressive achievement. Seth, how did they do it? Charging for bags at A321, so... A little bit of luck. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President here at Airline Weekly, and I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. We'll talk about JetBlue's renewed fortunes, and of course, we'll talk about another huge quarter for American Airlines, plus their rivalry with Delta. We'll talk about Allegiant, and in Japan, ANA and JAL. Reported. It's all coming up now on the Airline Weekly Lounge. <laughs> joining us. We're starting with JetBlue's breakout quarter. Let me give you a few numbers. That 21% operating margin in Q4, that was up from 12% in the same quarter in 2014. And a year before that, it was just 8% in the fourth quarter. But before anybody chalks it up to low oil prices, we need to emphasize JetBlue is not only doing a lot better, they're doing a lot better relative to their peers. This quarter, they beat Southwest, American, Delta, and United. In addition to cheap
1: oil, JetBlue has clearly found another gear, haven't they? They have. So, you know, for example, you mentioned Southwest. Southwest put up a twenty percent operating margin. I mean, by, by any standard, a fourth quarter twenty percent operating margin in, in the northern hemisphere is is, is phenomenal. Uh, but JetBlue beat them, and, and a year earlier they didn't. I mean, they they came from you know down three points versus Southwest a year earlier to up a point this year against JetBlue. So they gained all that ground, four points of margin on Southwest, and gained ground on on most of their peers. I'm not picking on on just Southwest. So yeah, uh, what happened? um, You you know, uh, for for one thing, they started charging for bags. Uh, And uh, I mean, we've Talked about it before, Jason, but uh, it, 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 you know there just hasn't been an airline yet that's tried charging for bags and and has and has regretted doing so. You, you know, and the interesting thing about JetBlue is that they are a brand conscious airline. You know, they're not spirit ryanair you know an airline whose customers understand that you know that, that that typically they're going to do whatever's the low cost thing to do and and just kind of let people uh you know deal with it Although of course i mentioned ryanair even they're going down a little bit of a different path now but jetblue certainly is one of those very brand conscious airlines an airline that held out for a very long time uh, you know believing that not charging for bags and making that somewhat a part of its brand would shift enough share onto the airline, just get you know, more people flying it uh, you know, to where they could make up for what they weren't charging for bags with just uh, higher load factors and, and uh, and somewhat higher base fares than they might get by unbundling. In the end uh, they unbundled and, uh, you know, they've basically said, look, this this was even more successful than we ever expected. So that went very, very well. Also as part of that, they have these, um, the, these fair families where a uh, part of how people charge, pay for a bag uh, it's not necessarily just paying for the bag. They they can they can opt into a higher fare family that includes a bag, which can be cheaper than just paying for the bag by itself. So, uh, you know, those have been very successful as well, as they have also been for other airlines elsewhere. But beyond that, you know, they've been taking more of these A321s into the fleet. And these are just some of the lowest unit cost aircraft uh, imaginable, probably the lowest cost, uh, you know, narrow body lowest unit cost narrow body aircraft out there. Uh, So, you know, they put 190 seats on them, you know, rising soon to 200, uh, you know, for an aircraft that has the same two fuel-sipping engines, the same two pilots and the rest of it. And uh, they're doing very, very well on routes up and down the East Coast, uh, routes from the Northeast to the Caribbean. So uh, those two, as they continue taking them into their fleet, they've helped. And beyond that, mentioned it in the intro, a little bit of luck, you know, their geographic exposure. We talked, a lot broadly about how Southwest is, is you know, lucky to have uh, mostly domestic U.S. exposure in general. Well, JetBlue, if anything, you could say is even a little bit luckier if you consider that networks were established long ago. I mean, it's you know, they've been flying these these you know most of their core routes for a long time. Luckier in the sense that they have mostly coastal exposure, especially up and down the East Coast. Uh, you know, some transcontinental exposure, not a lot of exposure to the interior of the country where low commodity prices are are impacting people. So, you know, whereas Southwest does have a lot of its markets in Texas, throughout the interior of the country, where, where, you know, some people are suffering, uh, JetBlue doesn't have most of that kind of exposure. You you know, they're mostly doing business in places where people are doing well. Uh, You know, they are, however, more of an international airline than Southwest. And you might think, well, that's bad because of everything that we often talk about, the weak currencies and so forth. But in JetBlue's case, international means mostly people who reside in the U.S., Going to uh, you know, going on vacation uh, to somewhere in the Caribbean, uh, you know, going maybe to visit family in the Caribbean or in Upper South America, and so you know, these are people who are buying their tickets in, in U.S. dollars. People are earning strong U.S. dollars, and so the the problems with international service between the currency issues and just exposure to some of the most toxic markets, uh, you know, let's say Brazil and so forth, where JetBlue doesn't fly, they just aren't as exposed to that. So you add it all up. Uh, you know, some good decisions and then just some, some uh, good exposure and JetBlue's doing very, very well.
0: Do you think Southwest is looking at JetBlue and thinking about the bag fees? And if they're not, should they be?
1: Probably mostly no. And yes, in that order, you know, it's uh, again, uh, you know. I, I don't mean to be labor it, but you know, we've talked about it before. It's it, it, you know, show me an example anywhere in the world where an airline has unbundled its product and regretted doing so. You know, Southwest is clearly uh, very concerned about about its brand. You know, they feel that there are reasons unique to them why uh, why why maintaining the very highly bundled product makes sense. You know, I, I to the extent that the you know the, the whole. Brand issue. I mean, look at JetBlue again, an airline that's very, very concerned about its brand. But you know what? They announced it. They did it in a rather consumer-friendly way, where you know they basically came out and said, "Hey, you know, some people are going to pay less. You know, people who want to travel light. For everybody else, you can still have everything you want. You're just going to, you know, use these various fare families that'll make sense." You know, they had a bad day or two uh, in, in in the press, uh, and not even all that bad at that. And then they carry on, just uh, earning a whole lot more money than they used to earn, and 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 really, to the extent that that is the concern from uh, of Southwest sort of the public perception issue, I, I I think they might be really overestimating the problem with it. Uh, you know, there's no question. Yes, if they if the the airline that most loudly of all type you know touts bags fly free stops letting bags fly free, um you know the media will write about it. They're a giant airline. That'll be a big you know, a big shift for them. Uh, it'll last a few days, and and, uh, and and if if history is any guide, it'll all go straight to their to their bottom line. Uh, and and not to mention, I mean, for you know, for whatever reason you can come up come up with why Southwest maybe shouldn't charge for bags as opposed to others, probably some very powerful reasons why why they actually are are, are are could benefit most from charging to bags. I'll just give you the two of them, and there are really several. One is that they uh they they dominate many of their markets uh, more than more than other airlines, you know, just just all these nonstop markets in the interior of the country. You know, you're flying from I don't know Nashville to Kansas City and hundreds of others like it. You're a business traveler or, or a leisure traveler, for that matter. You want to fly nonstop. Who else are you going to fly? You, you know, they have they have this very unique, impenetrable network. We've talked about that before, and, and what that means is that you know, in in a lot of ways, their network is less exposed to competition. So so it's not as if somebody's going to go somewhere else. And at this point, if they're going to go somewhere else, that airline's charging for bags anyway. Uh, the other thing is that with their very short average stage lengths, you know they're they're the shortest tall major airline in the U.S. You know those are markets where very often they're competing against uh, not other airlines but car travel. You know if somebody's flying from uh, Fort Lauderdale to Tampa, uh, you know they might choose to fly Southwest or they might choose to drive and, and whatever they can do to unbundle the product and lower the base fare, you know to make it possible for the person to fly, that's going to be very very helpful. So uh, you know. Again, you know, hey hey, usual disclaimer, we're talking about, you know, one of the most successful airlines, if not the most successful airline in the history of the world over the decades, you know, obviously they've done a lot more right than they've done wrong. Uh but on this one, uh it, it seems to be more of a um, you know, sort of a faith feeling rather than anything driven by any analysis that the rest of us can see that they should that they should keep doing what they're doing. Okay,
0: let's get back to JetBlue, uh, which was the topic. Uh, sorry. That's <laughs> uh, my fault. That's uh, my fault. I should have known better. That, yeah,
1: you, you right. uh, yeah. You, uh, my yeah. fault. That's the really? rail, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, something else we've talked about before, and something else I think you're uh, interested in, let's say. Uh, JetBlue's Mint product, their Lie Flat product. Uh, they're deploying it just a little further to some Boston routes, but then not much beyond that. Now, Mint has been around now for a couple of years. How is it working out in your estimation?
1: Well, right now the tide is so high that a lot of things work uh, that that you know wouldn't have worked in another environment. That didn't work even a year or two ago. Like everything with airlines, I mean, they're not going to show you the, the profit and loss statement for a route by route, you know, or a cabin by cabin uh, on a cabin by cabin basis or anything like that. But you know, but however much of a problem it was a year or two ago, it's less of a problem now because uh, you know revenues are. Rather strong in JetBlue's revenues. To 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 be clear, uh, what one other thing I did when I gave that litany of things that are that are going well for them, you know, they're they have uh, sort of less competitive exposure than other airlines. The sort of competitive capacity growth in their markets hasn't been what it has been for some other airlines. So you know, the revenues have held up nicely considering how fast they're growing, and uh, and of course fuel is just so much cheaper. So you know, is it making money? Uh, yeah, I mean, likely so. Yeah, uh, you know, almost everything is making money right now for U.S. airlines. Is it what is driving the profit renaissance at JetBlue? No, I don't think so. You know, Boston makes a lot of sense. I mean, if anything, I, I was almost surprised that they hadn't done that first, only because, um, you know, that's a place where they they really kind of ha- have the corporate travel community mostly to themselves. Um, you know, they started out at JFK, more competitive routes. And I understand why they did. I mean, they wanted to be a player in that market. But, uh, you know, if anything, Boston's a place where um, where, where they are the default cor- uh, corporate travel airline. So uh, So that makes sense. Uh, you know there there is some opportunity cost uh, with with Mint. We actually got into this in, in this week's issue a little bit. Um, readers readers will see it. I mentioned those 321s a few minutes ago. I was talking about the what they call core configured 321s, the ones with all their you know all economy product. I mean they have the extra legroom, the you know even more space seating and so forth. But uh, I mentioned they're at what I think 190 seats going to 200 now. Uh, just, just these these incredible economic performers. Well, Mint is also on 321s, but the Mint equipped aircraft have only, I think it's 159 seats. So uh, so it's a much higher unit cost aircraft. And basically, every time they take one of these A321s in, and by the way, they kind of said this even in their call, in Mint configuration, that's an A321. They're not taking in that other highly, highly profitable configuration. I don't think they could even fly those, um, the more densely configured A321s cross country. I'm not positive. I think that that the uh, you know, there'd be weight issues with doing that. But obviously... You you know that there would just be more 321s to to deploy up and down the East Coast into the Caribbean. Uh, you know if they if they didn't have uh, mint. Uh, but you know it's it, it's it's obviously not enough of a problem for them to to change course, and obviously not enough of a drag on profit to prevent them from putting up these very nice numbers that they are indeed putting up. So, do you think JetBlue's
0: success in
1: 2015 will this uh, continue? Is this the beginning of a new era? Are they going to stay atop the leaderboard? Well. Yeah, you know, if anything, um, there there are reasons for optimism. Uh, associated with the fact that some of the best things they're doing haven't even really started yet, uh, and, and and I'm talking primarily about densification. I, I mentioned it with the 321s, but really across their fleet, uh, they're adding. Well, gosh, just just last week they they uh, they sort of refined their announcement about what they're adding to uh, about how they're going to reconfigure their their cabins. When they call it a cabin refresh, uh, so just the products going to get nicer and so forth in, in, in a lot of ways. But um, but one thing is that they are densifying, not really taking away legroom because they're going to be used. The slimline seats and all that, but uh, so the 320s also—they're uh, adding two rows of seats. It's going to go from 150 to 162, and, and and for them, I mean, that is almost certainly going to be very, very positive. You're talking about, you know, driving down your unit costs. I mean, because. Nothing really changes except 12 more seats to spread the cost among. You do need one more flight attendant, but uh, you know 12 more seats to spread the cost and 12 more seats of revenue for an airline. You know that has high load factors. I mean, they'll sell the seats uh, and they serve mark these high volume markets where where uh, you don't have the same kind of negative impact on unit revenues when you add capacity as you do in in sort of your kind of high-yielding but limited-demand markets. So uh, that, that's almost certainly going to be very, very positive for them uh, going forward. Again, they, they, they haven't even started that yet. I mean, that, that is, that's, that's all to come. Uh, so there's there's going to be a lot of what, if, if history is any guide, is going to be uh, rather profitable and low-risk, low-cost growth for them. A lot of new capacity that they're not really going to have to pay for.
0: Moving on to American Airlines, they continue to post numbers that airlines used to only dream about. Operating profit was $7.3 billion in 2015. That was a record beating Delta's earnings from a, uh, just a couple weeks ago. But all is not splendid at American. As, they, as has been the theme of this U.S. earnings season, revenue pressures dented their numbers. We've talked about their challenges at DFW, but South America is a
1: big concern for America, isn't it? A very big concern, to be clear. The issues in South America uh, from from a from the standpoint of how they impact uh, airline revenues are much more severe overall than what's happening, let's say, in Asia, for example. I mean, gosh, they talked about, you know, yield declines in Brazil, 40 percent. And in fact, on their call, one of the analysts asked them uh, about any impact from the the Zika virus, uh, you know, which which, uh, a lot of people are unfortunately becoming familiar with and, uh, you know, just just so far limited real impact in terms of public health but a lot of concerns you know, are, are people canceling trips and so forth and what the, the, you know their answer was that it's hard to measure because when you're looking at overall unit revenue declines and yield declines uh like that you know how, how can you Figure out what small part is attributable to Zika as opposed to just you know everything else that, that's that's going on there. So so you know just just uh, a, a really alarming situation uh, overall. There there are by the way some bright spots. Uh, Argentina actually ha- has held up reasonably well, and now some more reasons for optimism with the the, you know, the new pro business uh, the government that that's uh, that's in charge there. But but overall, Latin America is uh, is is one of the worst off regions uh, in the world. I mean, you know, Africa's. The, very bad too, um, but you know the, the U.S. airlines in general don't have much exposure there, uh, with the exception of Delta, don't have any exposure there. So yeah, so so Latin America is is tough, and American is the one that has the most exposure there. And, and so uh, you can kind of think of it like this: of the two Texas hub city markets, you know Houston is, is despite everything that's going on in, in Dallas with the competitive battle, you know Houston is probably still the tougher market there. I mean the numbers that United gave about the declines in corporate travel spend were, were just okay well they were, were kind of like the numbers i just said about brazil you know companies spending you know cutting spending by 20 30 40 percent those kinds of things um not to say that the overall market is seeing those kinds of declines but the corporate travel spend especially uh so houston probably worse off than dallas fort worth but latin america uh, seems to be worse off than asia so kind of if you're, if you're comparing american and united uh yeah united with the bigger issue in houston than american has probably in dfw but american with the bigger issue in Latin America uh, than United has over in Asia. And, uh, you know, why is Delta not seeing the same kinds of declines? Well, uh, you know, partly because its exposure uh, is not the same as 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 either of those. Uh, you know, Asia, clearly an, an issue for Delta, but, uh, but just as a percentage of its revenue, uh, United's more exposed to those problematic markets and i mentioned houston asia all that american to dfw into uh uh, south america and and delta less so 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 that along with some of the the things that delta is doing right uh, likely explains the differential there american and united with 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 far more significant uh, revenue issues for the moment
0: as you just demonstrated it's hard to talk about american airlines these days without mentioning (laughs) delta airlines in fact we had a cover story headlined clash of the titans in this week's issue, which chronicles in gory detail how these two giant players are bumping heads all over the globe. Basically, it depicts a budding rivalry that appears like it's going to last a long time and it's only going to get hotter. First, how does this rivalry compare to airline rivalries in the past?
1: Well, these are two very, very well managed airlines. Uh, you know, with some very interesting philosophical differences, which we go through in the, in the cover story, and some just structural differences—things that aren't, you know, really within the control of any management team today necessarily—but but, but that—but that matter difference between this one and maybe some of the ones in the past uh, is that precisely because you know these are two very rational, uh, strategically driven airlines—they're not—they're not, they're not going to do anything stupid. You know, um, they are going to go after each other. Uh, very aggressively, they've been doing that. You know, certainly cheap fuel prices change things to some degree. They they lower the risk of doing certain things. You know, whereas a couple years ago, airlines had really just retreated back to their hubs and said, you know, we're just not going to touch anything else that's that's not you know really core to what we do. You know, you see them experimenting a little bit. You know, with some things that just become possible when fuel is at these levels. But by and large, you know, we're talking about absolutely skirmishes in, in various places. Uh, and when, and look, when, when Delta starts operating, you know, flights from Los Angeles, which is a, a major battleground for both of them from Los Angeles into Dallas, Fort Worth, you bet Americans going to come back with flights from LAX uh, over to Atlanta as they did. And you know, and, and there's some of that going on, but, um, You know, they're 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 not going to uh, there's there's no suicide bomber among the two. Let's put it that way. You know, they're they're uh, they're going to be very rational about the way they compete. Against each other, and what makes it so interesting is that you just do have these two brilliant chess playing airlines with these different philosophies, but that have, and we mentioned this in the article, you know, those two management teams done more to redefine the industry than than uh, than any other. I mean, the way the industry looks today, consolidation, and and uh, just the way capacity is managed, and and uh, so much else, you know, so much of it came either from both of them or from from one uh, or the other. I mean, in the case of the American management team, of course, back. Uh, back when they were running U.S. Airways, so uh, no, it's it's uh, it's gonna be fun to watch.
0: Now you've written a book about Delta. You have in American's headquarters, <laughs> and you followed these companies for years. And I'm gonna ask you an intimate question: Do these kind of competitions really get personal? It seems like they did when it when Delta broke off its interline agreement with American a year ago.
1: Yeah, you know Delta has uh, has. You know, I guess you could say broken some of the unwritten rules of of, of the industry. I yeah, I can't recall another giant global airline uh, making some of the comments that that Delta made um, about American's operation when when the interline ended. Uh, you know, American just sort of made a standard, you know, you know we've agreed tender thing, and, and Delta you know really kind of uh, trash talked American's operation. And, and look, everybody acknowledges Delta is doing a, a phenomenal job. I can't remember anybody. Being specific about another, as I say, I'm not talking Michael O'Leary. You know, Ryaner you know, obviously says things about other airlines' operations and so forth. It goes on. I can't remember another giant global airline saying the kinds of things Delta did about American. Those kinds of comments about other other uh, stakeholders too. Uh, again, you know, justifiable. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, you know they they can back it up, but just something that's not often done. Uh, you know, the whole thing about talking about you know what a what a triple seven uh, costs. You know, you know precisely what they paid for a triple seven. You just you know, you just didn't generally hear airlines talking about precisely what they paid uh, for aircraft as, as opposed to list prices. Delta has been doing it. Uh, and so you can imagine they they uh, they you know, they ruffle some feathers when when they do that. And, and so so so, yeah, you know, there there's um, uh, these are people and, and obviously the people on the other end of those uh, are, of, of those statements are going to react the way they do. But that's all at the margin. I mean, you know, again, they're not going to go, you know, you know, Americans not going to go, you uh, you know, try to set up a hub in Detroit or something because it's upset about something that Delta says, you know, in, in small ways, yeah, they're all going to look for, for opportunities to needle each other. But generally, these are adults who are, you know, who are going to have their differences and are, who are going to work together when, when making when, when it makes sense to do so. And you see examples of that all the time where where uh, you know, companies whose interests are not aligned in many ways, nonetheless, find common cause. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure at some moment in time, we'll, we'll see that again with these two. Are these rivalries good for corporate culture? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, look, they're, they're, they're certainly good for, for consumers. It's, you know, anybody who thinks that these airlines are just operating in lockstep. And, uh, I mean, there was that whole, you know, you know, our airlines colluding, you know, the DOJ investigation last year, which has turned out to look, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you, now you have the falling airfares and the rest of it, just just with the lag time. I mean, you'd always expect we've talked about that in the, in the past. But yeah, no, um, it, it, it's, it's uh, you know, especially when you're dealing with a labor intensive industry, you know, where, where it is uh, to a degree about rallying the troops and the rest of it. Look, I mean, you mentioned our book about Delta. Uh, there, there, Jerry Grinstein, the, the former CEO of Delta, tells this story. That back when U.S. Airways was trying to buy Delta, and that, of course, was the, the current American Airlines management team that was running U.S. Airways then, it was what became a hostile takeover attempt. You know, Grinstein uh, put a U.S. Airways logo on a doormat and put it outside the, the executive office doors and, and uh, you know, put a sign, you know, wipe feet before entering. And, and you know, he, he and, and, and he talks about this, how he, he just wanted the Delta people to absolutely hate. U.S. Airways, and uh, so so, and and that was actually very successful, and and Delta did defeat the bid. I mean, not only because of that, but but that mattered a lot. Uh, and, and so so, sure, you know, the, these are um these are two management teams who understand exactly what they're doing. I mean, it's not like they're just sort of uh, making offhand remarks without thinking them through. They understand exactly what they're doing, and uh, they they and and everything they say has different constituencies in mind, and certainly certainly the workers. Are, are are among that. I mean, just, again, mentioning American Airlines uh, earnings call, you know, Doug Park responding to to, to something Delta had said, basically, you know, just to set it up, Delta had said that, well, if you exclude all the profit sharing that Delta pays out, you know, Delta would have earned more money. And Parker said, well, uh, he said that that's just a form of compensation. He said, and, and, and we just pay our people more and our people are are well represented by unions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, so, so, so sure, they, they use this to rally the troops uh you know it's an ancillary benefit to to this war which which again is just uh, just a lot of a lot of fun to watch good to have a common enemy looking
0: around the globe what american delta battleground
1: do you find to be the most interesting you know i i think the underappreciated one would be and when we yeah, you know, we didn't even get into because there are so many other core ones. Uh, so okay, so yeah, everybody knows. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously New York, obviously Los Angeles. Uh, you know, London has become uh quite a battleground with the dueling joint ventures there, uh, American with British Airways and Delta with, with uh, Virgin Atlantic. But you know, equally important are. Are all of the connecting markets where it might you know might take a little bit might have to be paying a little bit closer attention to understand this um you know places where their hubs aren't at the same airport but where the competition is just as direct as as anywhere and and I'm talking in particular about all throughout the southeastern U.S. for example okay so you take a market like you know I don't know Gainesville Florida. OK, um, there are exactly two ways to get from Gainesville, Florida to pretty much anywhere in the world. You know, you're either going to d- hop on uh, Delta and connect in Atlanta or you're going to hop on American and connect in Charlotte. Well, or, or Miami for that matter, and that's how you get anywhere. Uh, and, and there are exactly two airlines there. And, and so, people in all of these smaller and mid sized cities who either have uh, literally just those two options, or in some cases, you know, those are by far the, 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 the two biggest, you know, that's those are all fierce battlegrounds. Uh, you know, those airlines are competing for all the corporate business, all just all the business in general in all those places. So, it's easiest to look at a map and say, okay, where do they have their biggest hubs and identify those those places. But you're you're talking about just dozens of cities uh, throughout, in particular the the, the the southeastern U.S. Although not only there, but those are the only two airlines, and the, and the, the you know the planes might be going different places from those cities, but they're completing for all the same pe- people who are who have all the same uh, final destination. So I think that's one that 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 is is uh, highly important and underappreciated you know, relative to some of the, you know what you might say are the the sexier battlegrounds.
0: Okay, one more story about the US market. Allegiant, a 30% profit margin in Q4 for non-airline experts out there, that's awfully
1: good. <laughs>
0: in our report, we mentioned that Allegiant is starting to bump up against other carriers uh, more often. Are they running out of elbow room?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, I mean, Look, for years now, uh, it, it has seemed that there were reasons uh, why Allegiant might, you know, might be. Just running out of steam uh, in terms of these crazy margins that it's been putting up, and it hasn't happened yet. You know, no, nobody's made nobody's made any money lately betting against Allegiant. I, I mean, just just almost by definition, as these l- ultra low cost carriers all continue growing, uh, of course they're going to bump up against each other some more. You know, the, the the Spirit and and Frontier network models are maybe a little more similar to each other. Allegiant's been been somewhat different. Uh, you know, for for people who don't know, the, the sort of the core Allegiant market has been a nonstop flight from you know from some small to maybe mid-sized city to you know, I don't know Des Moines, Iowa, to the large leisure bases uh, where bases aircraft, yeah, to uh, Orlando or Las Vegas or Phoenix or, or uh, St. Petersburg, Fort Lauderdale, or other places. So, so that's what they always did, uh, and 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 they have been expanding into larger markets. You know, partly filling vacuums that were left in other airlines. Um, you know, they've grown a lot in Cincinnati, for example. Where, where Delta, of course, vastly downsized its up. and as it does does that, yeah, it does. Uh, run into other airlines at those airports. Uh, you know, certainly, I mean, look, if you go into a bigger airport like that, obviously you're not going to have the place to yourself in the same way that you kind of have it to yourself, at least in terms of nonstop service to the big leisure destinations. But also, even in places where they're not at the main airport, the alternative airports are, 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 are impacted by some of the other new ultra-low-cost carrier service. Uh, so Concord, uh, North Carolina... Uh, Allegiant flies from there to Orlando Sanford, to Sanford Airport in Orlando. So, you know, if you live in Charlotte and you want to go to Disney World last summer, and you you, know, you wanted to pay as little as possible, you drive out to Concord and, and fly Allegiant down to uh, down to Sanford. Well, this coming summer, you can also choose to fly Frontier from the main airport, Charlotte, to the main airport in Orlando. You know, it's competition that didn't exist for them uh, last year. You know, just just in in a sense more. You know, competition from an airline that's more like they are, that can afford to offer those very, very low uh, entry price points because it also has the the, the fully unbundled product. So, um, you know, so that's there. And not only that, but the other airlines in this low fuel price environment, I'm talking, the, you know, United, Delta, American, Southwest, can come in and are coming in with very, very low connecting fares in a lot of markets as, as a way to just sort of backfill their capacity. Uh, so... You know, even in those places where, as I said, they might fly nonstop from that sort of small city where there is not no nonstop service to Orlando uh, or Las Vegas. Well, in the past, Allegiant might have also had just by far the lowest fare. Even never mind the fact that on another airline you'd have to connect. Now, very often those airlines will offer cheap connecting fares to sort of lure people onto. Onto their networks, they can afford to do it with fuel being cheaper, and they have to do it with with some of the capacity growth. Uh, So, so that too, uh, you know, can pressure Allegiant, which, by the way, Allegiant, uh, an airline that has very famously famously flown a a highly seasonally scheduled airline. um, You just just you know, where where September looks nothing like August. A highly day of week scheduled airline, you know, where Tuesday looks nothing like Monday. And because of cheap fuel, which turns this into more of a fixed cost industry again, they said, you know what, we can actually afford to keep, to, we can keep flying more in September than we did in the past. We can fly more on Tuesday, Wednesday than we did in the past. So they've done that. And, and they actually have been a little bit disappointed with how that has gone. You know, just demand is so low in the off-peak periods that it didn't go as well as they hoped, even though, to be clear, that service was profitable too, so so they're happy to doing it, but it didn't do the same thing uh, for their uh, for their earnings uh, as as they hoped it would be. Uh, having said all that, as I said, the you know, it, it's it's hard to make money betting against the <laughs>
0: Okay, well, finally we can get out of the U.S. market and go visit Japan. JAL and A&A reported. JAL posted a handsome 15% operating margin in calendar Q4. That's really good for an off-peak quarter. ANA meanwhile posted a 7% operating margin. As we've discussed before, the biggest difference between these two carriers is that JAL got the benefit of the bankruptcy car wash in 2010. <laughs> when is that adva- advantage going to wear off?
1: Well, it, it'll wear off over time as as they uh you know end up agreeing to more expensive labor deals. Uh, you, you know, that's just how it always works, you know, in, in the and you, you know, you, you can only go on making a whole lot of money so long before before employees want to want to take a cut. But you know, the the the, the most recently restructured airline does often maintain a cost advantage, you know, for for, for a considerable period of time. Um, so so it's it's not going to happen overnight. But yeah, the the cost over time will begin to converge. Having said that, though, you know that I mean, American's old management team, for example, used to before bankruptcy used to. Used to say that they believed that everybody else's costs would converge to Americans' much higher costs, and that that would level the playing field, and, and they would be okay. And of course, you know, we all know they ended up in bankruptcy. It's just that cost convergence never completed. So if you are on the pawn, A and A, you have to worry in the sense that if times ever got bad, you know, and you mentioned JAL is making a lot of money right now, A and is making considerably less money, but still, I mean, they're they're fine. They're <laughs> a perfectly solvent, sustainable company. But you know, if times ever got worse uh, and you just kind of slide that all over to where, okay, JAL is making some money and ANA is not making money, uh, they, they, they would have to be uh, con- concerned about that. But um, generally speaking, you would expect the cost to converge somewhat as time goes on.
0: We detail in this week's issue how ANA is, we use the word, hyperactively taking steps to remain competitive. It's a bit of a generalization, but is ANA positioning itself to be the stronger carrier in the long run?
1: Well, look, they, they understand what, what they're facing. And so they have to look for other ways to, to lower their cost. They can't just slash their, you know, they have collective bargaining agreements, obviously with the workers and everything. So you can't, you know, you can't just slash your wages or anything like that. So, so on one hand they dabble in, uh, in low cost carriers. Um, you know, they, 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 they have a low cost unit and they've done other strategic things, you know, investing in, in, uh, in Vietnam airlines, uh, you know, for example, they've, they've, uh, rebalanced their, their network a lot, uh, you know, more, more global exposure, you know, in the old days, it was, you know, and it was just a much more short haul airline and Jal the opposite, the much more global airline. And they they look uh, much more alike in those ways that, than they uh, than they previously did. So, uh, you know, they understand what they're facing. Um, and uh, but but unfortunately, yeah, they, they do start with a with a massive uh, differential that uh, although I said over time, you would expect to converge, um, you know, is 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 not going to happen today or tomorrow.
0: All right, we'll close with that. Next week, I promise we won't lead with the U.S. market. <laughs> Thanks for your contribution, Seth. And thank you for stopping by the Airline Weekly Lounge. Okay, earnings season almost done. Who do we got left in the U.S. market?
1: Uh, Spirit and Virgin America in, in the coming weeks. And then Frontier. Uh, they, you know, they, they're not publicly traded, but their numbers will come out from, uh, from DOT at some point. Pro- probably not for uh, a month or two.
0: Okay, stay tuned.